for both of us, it is this sense of God in our life that really makes life beautiful, interesting, curious, full, rich, meaningful. Welcome to the Renovare Podcast, a place for honest conversations about interactive life with God. I'm Nathan Foster, and my guest today is a couple who runs Fall Creek Abbey, an inner-city retreat house in Indianapolis, Indiana, Beth and David Borum. They're both spiritual directors, and they've written a book together titled, When Faith Becomes Sight, Opening Your Eyes to God's Presence All Around You. Beth and David embody a calm, a depth and transparency that I think you'll find helpful. I am um, very curious to hear a little bit about Fall Creek Abbey. So we are located in Indianapolis, um, just a couple miles north of the very center part of the city. So we're in an urban neighborhood with a lot of original homes that were built around 1900. It's a small urban retreat center. We host individuals for half-day, full-day, overnight retreats, and we also invite small groups and teams to come and use the main floor space to do good work together. We spend a lot of our days offering spiritual direction, and then we have a training for people who are interested in becoming spiritual directors. And this is something you guys get to do together. Yes, we do. We do. Yeah, we've spent most of our adult vocational life kind of in tandem or partnership. We spent multiple decades in various ministry roles and kind of large, complex, vision-driven organizations and uh, feel like we're doing something kind of small and quiet yet significant now. We kind of like changing that lane. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Probably another unique feature of what we're doing too is I think about our story together We're 64, so as we were entering adulthood and marriage and family, we had somewhat of a more traditional role. And so a lot of opportunities came my way via kind of holding on to his coattails. But the vision for what we do here was really originated in me. And at the time, we had left the staff of a megachurch, and it was honestly a pretty tumultuous parting and painful, difficult disillusioning and we kind of were grinding our way through the foment of all of it. And David embarked on a career counseling practice, his own practice. And I kept circling around trying to envision what it was I really wanted to give myself to. And over several years, this vision of an urban retreat center came together. And so I was the one who really felt the impetus to give expression to it. And eventually, David caught a vision for it as well. And so, <laughs> I guess he he came up on my coattails for a while. You have coattails now. I though. do. <laughs> and now we're just partners, you know. I love that our story intersected in that this retreat that the three of us were at, right? Was that a pivotal point for David? It was. And it, 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 Fall Creek Abbey is obviously an urban retreat center, which often feels a little like an oxymoron. And so the retreat that we were at with you, Nathan, was in this lovely wooded area in, in Virginia. 
and I'm a nature boy. And so I just loved being there and uh, it just hit a lot of the right chords. And so, yes, Beth and I left that retreat together and processed this. I said, I can do this. I can see myself doing this, but I'd like it to be in a natural, rural, country, wooded area. So that's what got me out of neutral. And then in kind of God's serendipitous way it felt like a bit of a bait and switch to take me back to the (laughs) urban area but uh, yeah yeah that was where it all started just to give you some context it was during the recession once he finally caught the vision i agreed that we could it could be placed in a rural setting Uh, so we got our house on the market but their housing market was terrible and we lived in an area where there were a gazillion houses just like ours we had hopes that it would sell quickly. Well, of course, it took eight months and 72 showings before it sold. <laughs> so during that eight months, we started out looking in rural properties. And once we began to do that, we, we started to envision what it would be like to live that far away from our family. We have four adult kids in our community and just kind of the question of accessibility. So we came back around and I, I found an urban house that looked like it might work. That was a game changer because he entered this beautiful old home and began to say, oh, maybe this could work after all. I like the idea of redeeming urban areas. And, you know, I think we can't get this idea that I can only hear from God when I'm far away from cities. And Beth, you wrote a book about the journey. Is that correct? I did. It's called Starting Something New, Spiritual Direction for Your God-Given Dream. And it's organized in such a way that I tell our story as the arc of the book, and then I explain the gestational process of birthing a dream. What do you hope for folks reading the book? We would be delighted if People would read the book and as a result, be able to recognize God in their lived experience, reflect on that experience, and then respond wholeheartedly to God as a result. Almost any experience, and they can be the most mundane and ordinary experiences of our life, can be rich and spiritual experiences if we're looking for God in them. I think that's the beauty of contemplative spirituality in that it not only honors the idea that God is a transcendent being beyond anything that we can conceive of, God is also near. God is in all things and all things are in God. And so that means that whatever's going on in my life, if I am open, then I may have an encounter with God. It might not be anything dramatic. It could be very subtle, and yet it can be very real. And I think for both of us, it is this sense of God in our life that really makes life beautiful, interesting, curious, full, rich, meaningful. Yeah, I would add to that, Nathan. Um, Kind of there would be a widening of people's field of vision, if I can say it that way. It would help give people permission to look for God in places that they typically would just walk past or maybe would be verboten. It's like, oh, I can't find God there because I, I don't know, there's danger there or whatever. But so there would be this widening of the lenses. The analogy I use sometimes, you're, you're a young man, but uh, when Beth and I grew up, uh, there's no such thing as cable TV or the internet that we could watch. Pro- so 
you had these little antennas and you could get maybe at best three channels, sometimes four channels. And so oh, I remember, I'm, I'm do you older remember than you days? think. I remember when cable TV came to the neighborhood. Okay. okay. <laughs> when we finally, uh, I think it was on a vacation to Florida. It's like, oh my gosh, there are a thousand channels here. There's whatever. And uh, I think it's a great picture that many of us in our spiritual life have been offered two or three channels to encounter God, and yet there are just unlimited mm. opportunities for mm. the divine to lean near. And to, so I think just widening people's imagination for how and where and uh, what it looks like to encounter God. It's a good phrase, widening people's imagination. Why are people resistant to this or find it challenging to uh, lean into the idea of God being present and interacting with us in everyday life. What comes to my mind right away is I think we're taught to mistrust ourselves, to mistrust that something could be the presence and involvement of God in my life that is coming from a non-traditional means. It's not in the Bible. It wasn't in prayer. It wasn't during a Sunday morning message from my pastor, but it was in this very quiet experience I had while I was walking on a path in the woods and just had a sense of God's nearness and God speaking comfort to me. And yet I think we're taught to mistrust our own intuitions of God our own experience, you know, experience has really kind of been put down as this very highly subjective and questionable thing. And of course, then intellect is raised up as if it is not culpable of being tainted or deceived. And and so, yeah, that's what comes to my mind. We're just not taught to trust our own intuitions and that we can actually identify, recognize something as the divine presence. People would have experiences or or have uh, senses of God's presence, but not feel a confidence to really identify or or name that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yes. That's where spiritual direction can be a helpful training ground, isn't it? To have another person sit aside us and go, yep. Yeah, that's God. Right. Yeah. I use the phrase amplify. Sometimes we're just another set of ears, you know, as we, sit with someone and they may be minimizing it or barely noticing it. And yet it comes out, you know, because <laughs> I don't know, we've got a little distance here. We're able to amplify what we're hearing and and consider, well, maybe this is far, far more profound and significant than you noticed at first. And let's not rush past it. Let's sit with this a while. Let's let's ask God what what else is in here. Who is the book for? Is it for folks who are in direction, doing direction, interested in direction? I would say all of the above. Yeah, I think it's for those who are on a conscious spiritual journey who are really leaning into that. And that's kind of the obvious audience, I would say. But I think it's also for the, I'll call them the dissatisfied, who have maybe peaked out, maybe their tradition or their community, as wonderful as it has been, it's taking them so far yeah, they're wondering, is this all there really is? Uh, Do I just kind of repeat the cycle here again and help other people get to where I am? Or they're dissatisfied because maybe they've been burned out, used, abused, and hurt. And they're maybe asking a similar question of, um, is this life-giving? Is this life-affirming? And so to answer that question, maybe in some fresh ways of that there is life and vitality in a 
conscious Christian spiritual path. And I would say seekers, maybe people who are returning, maybe they've already kind of dismissed the the Christian path as offering anything of real life and, and vitality, but they're wanting to maybe explore it again at a different vantage point in their life experience. What is it like for you guys personally, this kind of awareness of God throughout the day? What does that look like for you? It's an important question to ask us, actually. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, truth be told, I don't have like these dazzling God encounters every day throughout my day. I would say that more often than not, um, my God encounters can be quite quiet and very internal. I woke up a couple mornings ago and there was a thought I had, but it didn't feel like a thought I thought. It felt more like a thought that was a spiritual awareness, a bit of an insight into how God might be involved with with me right now in the uh, fog of this pandemic. So I sat down with it and did some journaling around what I was sensing that was being spoken to me. And and it's been a really important and sort of a rich insight as I've lingered with it and let it continue to sort of find its way inside me. It's not all about fireworks. It's kind of a <laughs> soft, subtle. Yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting you use that example, Beth. And I, I have just kind of a habit of when I wake up in the morning, before I force myself out of bed to get the coffee going, I will make myself stay still for those first few minutes. I mean, two, three, five minutes, I don't know what it will be. Until I hear what seems like just a, a soft, gentle word or uh, something that will will come into the foreground of my consciousness as I wake up there. And I, I don't mean to overly spiritualize this, but I think one author describes it as first movement. So in that first movement of the day, cultivating just some kind of receptivity. And so this morning, the word energy came to the foreground in my mind. And I have no idea why that, I don't know if I need energy from God to do this podcast with you today. (laughs) I don't know if, um, yeah, I don't know, but it was often for, I'm a word person. And so there will just be this, this word that will kind of come to the foreground and I'll just sit with it for a while. So it's not fireworks, I guess, is what I'm saying. Beth, you mentioned about the intellect, and some of the language I'd use is we kind of worship um, thought and uh, research and such as kind of the ultimate, uh, and certainly has its place and is important. What would you say to folks who, how do I trust this is me, or this isn't me, and this is from God, and does it just then make it all about me, and you know, how does that fit into a, a gospel or a, a faith that I grew up with? That's a great question. We actually, so we've been leading a class called the three R's of spiritual direction for about 35 spiritual directors. And um, we just talked about that. And what we shared that we feel is one of the primary, if you want to call it a litmus test, but kind of a, a way of discerning whether something is from God and for you to pay attention to is to notice the effect it has on you. You know, does it draw me toward God? 
Does it awaken something in my heart for God? Does it incline me toward love? And if it leads me to what we would call in contemplative spirituality, consolation, which is an orientation toward God, then we can be pretty assured that the experience we're having is that one we can trust. Yeah, Nathan, I, you know, it's kind of a given for me now. God is mystery. Any concept or idea that I have about God is always an approximation. And so I'm kind of comfortable with the fact that I'm going to get a lot about God wrong because God is mystery. And so I think for uh, what Beth's describing there, of does, does it have that quality, that tone that comes from a loving heart of God or not? That if I'm going to err, if, I'm gonna, if, if it's a given, I'm going to get many things wrong here. Am I going to fall on the side of love or am I going to fall away from the side of love? You know, I find freedom in that and, and that I can be kind of vulnerable and humble that I, I don't know a lot. And uh, yet that kind of seems like a good, good guardrail for me. I don't get hung up on trying to define some of these things. It just, just for me, I'm, I, I live life and try and kind of notice and pay attention. But these themes emerge in talking with others or people who know you can help kind of affirm some of these. And then certainly scripture is a good, a good help for, you know, the fruit of where, where we're going with things. How have you grown through the years in your ability to, your, your awareness and ability to respond to God's prompting, leading presence? Have you noticed a change in the years? Most definitely. Because I think, you know, in our early adulthood as followers of Christ, we were given three or four channels at the most. We were also told that the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked, so you better not trust your own heart. And that created a sort of a bind because it eliminated a lot of things that we were experiencing in life that could potentially be a spiritual experience. So when you ask the question, Nathan, I think what came to my mind, and this has been some deep and important work for me for the last maybe 20 years, but I've become more comfortable with paying attention to my feelings and emotions. And we talk about this in When Faith Becomes Sight, that You know, feelings and emotions make terrible masters, but they're really important messengers. And I grew up in a household that didn't do feelings very well, at least not the ones that, you know, were considered negative or bad. And so for most of my life, I lived with a lot of dishonesty within my own self about how I felt about things because I constrained to be a people pleaser and a performer and give people what they wanted. And so if I didn't like something or I didn't, I didn't, or maybe I didn't trust someone, I couldn't access that information for myself. So over the years, I've begun to recognize these very important messengers within me that come to me through my feelings and emotions. And by attending to those, I can then bring them into prayer and allow God to meet me and Help me see what's the message here? What do I need to learn? What do I need to know about myself or the situation I'm in or how God is speaking to me at this time? So that would be one way I, I've really changed. We have a chapter also, um, I think we titled it God's Big Book, Rediscovering God's mm-hmm. Voice 
in nature, God's presence in creation, and we're part of that creation. Neither of us were raised in Christian homes where uh, kind of our first encounters with the divine was um, in an institutional expression. We didn't realize it, but we were encountering God in creation. Both of us had those types of childhoods where we were outdoors a great bit. So part of my journey has been to return to this marvelous gift that we have in creation as God's big book. The Celts, they describe the Bible as God's little book and, you know, creation is God's big book. And I love that. I just love the uh, the invitation and the curiosity it unlocks. I think that's part of it, Nathan, being a disciple is a learner, right? So that uh, this this lifelong invitation to be a learner, and it's not that we become more and more expert in the curriculum of God, but the <laughs> the curriculum almost widens, and and it's like, oh my gosh, I, I will never uh, outlearn what is here. So, I think we've felt a lot of freedom to to really move out into the world as learners. There's so much to encounter and to be changed by. I love everything you're saying, and it's so inviting. What would you say to folks whose lives are quite busy? You know, folks with kids or demanding careers, families, how can they enter into this type of life? I'll tell you what comes to my mind that feels very core to this um, movement toward a more centered life, if you will, grounded life. And I hope this doesn't sound harsh because I don't mean it harshly and I, and I identify myself in this, but I think we can often think that we are victims of our life. We're, we're victims of our busyness. We're victims of our children. And in fact, as we're meeting with our directees, at least for me, a lot of, a lot of our time is, is uh, we engage with the question, when things do return to normal, is there anything in the way you're living presently that you want to retain? Any rhythms or any pace of life or any structures that you want to keep in place? Because I think people are kind of exploring the fact that they can actually do life differently than they have known in the past. So I think just opening to the fact I'm not a victim, I actually do have some choice here. How do I want to create the life that my soul really longs for? Very helpful. Thank you both for sitting down and talking today. Well, it's good to be with you, Nathan. That was Beth and David Borum. Again, their book is titled, When Faith Becomes Sight, Opening Your Eyes to God's Presence All Around You. Beth has written a number of books on her own, including Starting Something New, Awakening Your Senses, and Picturing the Face of Jesus. You can learn more about Fall Creek Abbey, their work as spiritual directors, and the Retreat House offerings at their website, fallcreekabbey.org. I'm Nathan Foster, and you've been listening to the Renovare Podcast. Renovare is a Christian ecumenical renewal effort, which offers resources and experiences to help people become more like Jesus. You can find articles and other resources at our website, renovare.org. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. We love hearing your questions or thoughts. Email podcast at renovare.org or tweet at renovare. 
This podcast is produced by Brian Morcon, who also wrote the opening song titled Be Kind. Other music is by Lee Rosevere. And until next time, be well, friends. Be well.